Everybody open up your Bibles. Open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. And we are going to continue our study in, uh, or our, our sermon series in the book of Colossians, uh, entitled Fullness. And so the Colossians were seeking fullness outside of Jesus, completeness. They were seeking uh, something more. And so Paul's got to write to them to explain to them that what they were looking for is to be found in Jesus, not outside of Jesus. So that being said, that's sort of our theme and our, our, our aim this morning, to be filled with Christ rather than the world. And sometimes we're not filled with Christ because we're fill- it, and it's because we're filled with something else. And so today I hope there's a great process of emptying and filling, the emptying out of yourself and the world and, and sin, if that's there, and, and being filled up with Christ. Um, I encourage you on Sunday mornings to bring your Bible. Not, It's not a, a, a sin thing, meaning if you don't bring your Bible, you don't get to go to heaven. That's I hope I'm not implying that at all. I want you to take ownership of the Word. I want you to see God's Word not simply as, as a good book or a book of wisdom, but as as life. Uh, John chapter 1 says that uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word is God. Um, the Word is as much a part of Jesus as, as Jesus is a part of the Word. It's They go hand in hand. You can't have Christ without the Word, and you can't have the Word without Christ. All of the Bible points back to Jesus, whether it's the Old Testament or New Testament, whether we're talking Genesis or Revelation, all of it points back to Jesus. And we as as pastors and preachers and teachers, um, we try to convey that, not because, you know, not trying to convince you, just pointing you back to it. And especially the Gospels. The Gospels record uh, the time where God became man. Um, It's not that Jesus was born right then and there and that's when he was created. To him was added humanity at that point. He was already God, but he became the God-man when he was born 2,000 years ago. Uh, Existed before that, but then became the God-man when he was born 2,000 years ago. Um, there are some commands that Jesus gave us. And all throughout the, the Gospels there are these commands not to um, say, oh, you heard the Old Testament, that's wrong. Here's what it's meant to say. He would say things like, no, uh, you've heard it said, but I say to you, he would fulfill or better give an understanding, give a better understanding of what the Old Testament might say. So we talk about things like adultery and divorce and uh, sexual immorality, uh Praying, you know, you've heard this. Well, let me let me further that. Let me complete that. Let me let me bring bring a complete circle to that, so you better understand what uh, the word is saying to you. And he gave us commands. One of his new commands was that we should love one another. But there are some that just pop out. I mean, you could probably quote them, maybe not verbatim, and you couldn't point to them in the scriptures. I know I I probably couldn't. But they're the things that that pop out in my mind at first when I think about Jesus. One of the first things I think about is Jesus saying to do unto others, right? Matthew chapter 7 says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. How we are to treat others is how we desire to be treated. I mean, we teach our kids that as early as we can. You know, when they smack somebody, which is not. See, we don't want to be hit, so let's treat them how we want to be treated. When they're selfish with their toys or their stuff or a television program, we, we explain to them, look, you have a desire and they have a desire. Let's treat them 
how you want to be treated. And so that command pops out. Next to me, what pops out is to love the Lord your God above everything else. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God. Love God first and foremost. If you're, gonna, if you're going to uh, love anything, love Jesus. Love him before you love anybody else. Put him first in your life before anything else uh, should come before him. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first uh, the great and the first commandment. The idea is not that there's this compartment of our life where Jesus exists, but that, you know, and then the rest of our life is sort of what we make of it. It's that we are in Christ. That is our life. That affects everything that we do. It changes how we see things. It changes how we live. Our desires become sacrificed, and now we're given new desires. We aren't adding Jesus to our life. We are being added to him. Love the Lord your God. And the continuation of that is the next thing that pops into my mind. Love your neighbor. Now, we already talked about treating uh, your neighbor how you want to be treated. It says, and the second is like this, Matthew 22 and 39. You shall love the Lord your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus twice there in just two verses points back to loving God, loving your neighbor, and having that be... Uh, the, that in that is the completion of all the laws we find in the Old Testament. You know, we put that banner up on the wall. We use it in parades, and we put it. It'll be at the health and wellness fair. It's not just something that fit on a banner, although it did fit. Um, it's what we believe that we love Jesus, we serve others, and in doing that, we will change the world. We might not change the whole world at once, but we'll change the world for those that we serve and love. Right? Their world will be changed. Our world will be changed. All because we got things in order and follow Jesus as he is to be followed. But there's one last thing. This is not an exhaustive list by any means, but the next thing that pops into my mind is something that my generation and generations after me are, are quickly trying to quench and destroy and extinguish. And it's, 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 a, it's an idea and an ideology from the scripture, scriptures uh, excuse me, that we shy away from so often. And Paul's going to talk to the Colossians about this in just a moment as we read. It's going to be the first uh, correction that Paul's going to make to the Colossian church. Because like them, or, or we like them, uh, we always shy away from this part when it comes to the scriptures and when it comes to following Jesus. Colossians 1 and 9 says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11 will be our focus today. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Jesus, your word is good. We come here today. I, I seek not to add to it and not to take away from it, to allow it to be what it is. The truth is the truth, regardless of my take on it, Lord. May your son Jesus be glorified and amplified through it.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, in the overview of salvation, what has happened is something called the great exchange. You have given God your sin in your old life, and God has given you the righteousness of Christ. I mean, that's to boil it down into a few simple words. He's given you redemption. He's given you uh, the propitiation uh, for your sins. Uh, but to boil it down, you give God your sin. He gives you his righteousness. You give him your sin, and he forgives you of that sin, the great exchange. As you do that, you are what the Bible calls born again. You have been born again. You are a brand new creation. You're not a cleaned up version of yourself. You have not simply switched affiliations. You have gone from, as Paul says, from one kingdom to another. You have become the citizen of a new nation or of a new country. We are no longer citizens of this world. We are citizens of heaven. We are here temporarily, and then one day we'll be taken to our true nation or our true world or our true uh, place of existence. This world is fallen and broken. And the perfect God, Jesus, comes to save us from it. Ephesians 1 and 13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The idea is this, is that God came in the form of man. His name is Jesus. He died on a cross. He conquered sin and death. He was resurrected, came back to life of his own power. He raised himself up, the Bible says. Then ascended, went to be at the right hand of his Father. The Father sent in the name of the Son, the Holy Spirit. Not just to point to the truth, that is part of what he has done, but to seal you, to mark you, to transfer you from one kingdom to the next. You are, no, you are no longer the person that you were. You are a brand new creation. The overview of salvation is that you have changed from one to the other. And so in doing so, things in our life change. How we view everything should now be seen through the lens of Jesus Christ. How we see children, how we see the elderly, how we see politics, how we see money, how we see hobbies and fun, how we see television, how we see music or hear music. How we, how we see everything, relationships and friendships and marriages and everything, church, everything should change. Because you have changed from one kingdom to the next. You now see things differently. You are given, being given new eyes. Now, it may not be instantaneous. There are some in history who, who it seems to happen rather quickly. I think about Paul on the road to, to Damascus, as I, you know, being blinded and seemingly... Within a matter of verses, he's a brand new man. That could have been a process of, of weeks, maybe months, before he actually became Paul, the, 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 the starter of churches or the, the guy who, 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 who spread the gospel and, and wrote books of the Bible. Nevertheless, for some of us, it might be years of, of continuously banging our head against the proverbial wall before we change. However, God is still working in us. And just one brief word of encouragement, if, if you would, you know, we, we get so fixated on the product of faith. You know, we look at somebody and they don't do what we think they should be doing. So we judge them as not being Christian or or not being spirit filled. I want you to just take a moment to look at that person in a different manner. Look at the process of what God is doing in their life. The product 
matters, but so does the process. We don't know what God is doing in them. We don't know what happens when they go home. We don't know if they repent later. We don't know if they're being led to that road of repentance, that opportunity where they will repent of what they've done, where they will say, you know what, I was wrong, Lord, you are right. If you've ever struggled with pride, then you know firsthand it's not the first thing you lay down, right? I mean, usually your pride kind of kind of stands up and says, no, I'm not wrong. That's your first reaction. I'm not wrong in what I'm doing. It feels right. It feels good. And I like it. So it must be okay. Pride rises up. Everything's fine. But God works on that, chipping away at it continuously till the point where you one day say, you know what? God, you are right. I, 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 I repent. I'm sorry for what I've done. I seek your forgiveness. And you find the open arms of a loving father welcoming back a prodigal. So just church, just be careful when you look at somebody and you judge the product of their faith before you understand the process of their faith. And if you're going to do anything as a result of that, please pray for them. Your, judge, your judgment of them will not change them, but your prayer for them might. So always go there first. In Ephesians and throughout the New Testament, there's this idea of being in Christ. It's mentioned some 200 times, in Christ, in God, in Him, in uh, Jesus, uh, it's this idea of being enveloped by Jesus. It's not that we're adding him to us like a backpack, but we're getting, we are inside of him. Like we are like putting a letter in an envelope. That's what we are like. He's all around us. He's all about us. And his life now becomes our life. His desires now become our desires. His words now become our words. And his wants now become our wants. The part that we skim over or that we try to avoid when it comes to um, the commands of Christ is found in verse 11. Endurance and patience with joy. I think that some of us, if, if Jesus had just said something about enduring, we'd be like, okay. He says to, be, to endure with patience, and they're like, oh no. And then he throws in with joy. It's like, come on, I have to be filled with joy as I'm patient, as I'm enduring. I have to be filled with joy as well. That's a tall order. That's a lot to ask of us, isn't it? Now, maybe in the good times, that's not so bad. You know, when you, when things are, when, when you have enough money in the bank and when the relationship's going good and the health is relatively good, not so bad. But then, you get the diagnosis, the unexpected bill comes up, your spouse goes nuts, the children are going crazy, your parents are insane. It's like, what do you do? Like, I'm supposed to endure this and be patient and be filled with joy? Church, before we get to the answer of this, I want to propose to you the command of this, and that is that is the command, that is what you are expected to do as a Christian. This is Paul's prayer for the Colossian church, that they would endure with patience filled with joy. It is God's desire for us to be that way. Now, before I go any further, Christ is the God of all creation. He has forgiven us of our sins through the, his own death on the cross. If he should say nothing else, it should be our life's pursuit to be just that, to endure with patience, filled with joy. Because he has commanded it. And he is worthy of that. 
If we, if we could do that, and that's a big if, and we're going to deal with that if in just a moment. If we could do that, it would be a worthy pursuit. He is worth that much and so much more. James chapter 1, verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. James saying the same thing that Paul is saying, and Paul saying the same thing that James is saying, that when you meet these trials, your inclination, your, your first response is not going to be joy. Joy is, is a little different than happiness. Happiness is a response to an act. So something good happens to you and you get happy. But joy transcends that. Joy is something that has been implanted in you by the Holy Spirit. It's not to be directed by or commanded by experience. It should exist because the Holy Spirit exists in you. In the same way that long-suffering or patience does. In the same way that love exists in you. These gifts of the Holy Spirit, these fruits of the Holy Spirit rather, exist there because they have been placed there by God. Not because circumstances warrant them. You know, everything's going good, so now I'm filled with joy. Well, that's an emotional experience. Anybody, the, the world goes through that all day long. I see people on television and, and the internet, they're happy. They don't know Jesus, but they're happy because something good is happening. And then they get angry because the happy thing went away. Now they're filled with anger or despair or sadness. And so for the Christian, part of that new life we've been given is the filling of the Holy Spirit that brings that joy with it or with him. When James says and when Paul says that we are to endure with patience uh, uh, filled with joy, that, that we should count it all joy when we suffer trials of various kinds, it's not because we're, um, is, it, is it sadists or is it masochists that love to go through pain? We're not that. It's like, oh, you know, the pain feels good, so I want to go through this. That's, that's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is, look at the attention that God has to your life, that he is concerned even with this thing that you are going through right here. But no matter how bad and devastating this might be, it pales in comparison to the God who has saved you from this world. See, one of the, the things that fills me, with hope, fills me with hope and joy is the knowledge that, that this is the closest to hell I'll ever get. You know, if you're a Christian today, if you've given your life to Jesus, the threat of hell is no longer a threat. I don't wake up every day going, man, I hope I don't do something to screw this up so that I go to hell. It's no longer a threat. Jesus has purchased my salvation through his own blood. That threat is no longer there. And if you live under that threat, you're either, you're either uh, responding to a lie from Satan or you yourself have not given your life to Christ because that condemnation no longer hangs over the head of a Christian. Hell is still hot. It's eternity still a long time, and you get saved from that by Jesus and by Christ alone. Now, I said earlier, if, if the command was simply to endure with patience, with joy, being filled with joy, that would be a worthy enough pursuit. But here's the good news this morning. And here's where this goes from being a legalism to the grace of God. You are expected to do this not in and of your own power. You are expected to do this in the power that Jesus has given you. His own power that he has transferred to you through the Holy Spirit. Let's think back for just a moment. This, is the, this was the best way I could think to kind of amplify this, to help us to see it rather than just hear it. Imagine 
being a disciple of Jesus Christ, uh, Peter, James, John, all the other guys, imagine you're one of them. Jesus has died. He's been in the grave for a few days. He's been resurrected. Oh my gosh, he's alive again. He's teaching. We're eating fish together. He walked through a door apparently. All this stuff has happened. And then he ascends to go to be with the Father. And now you've been given this charge in Matthew, uh, the end of the book of Matthew, you've been given this charge to go preach the gospel, make disciples of all the nations. Um, if it were up to human power, we would not be here today in church preaching the gospel. It would have died with the first disciples. They would have been martyred for their faith, and that would have been the end of it. But here's what kept happening. It was like the Caesar and the powers and the Pharisees, they were taking this big hammer and smashing the church. But all it did was cause the, the church to spread like wildfire. It just caused these broken pieces to go out into the world and grow new churches, plant new churches. New Christians would rise up out of it. As much as the world has tried to just crush and extinguish and stop the church, it's just grown more and more and more. Church, if it were all up to us in our own power, we wouldn't be here in church this Sunday morning. We'd be at home doing something else because it wouldn't matter. The church would have died. We'd be some other religion or faith. But because the power of God rests in the building of his church and the calling of his people, it continues. We live in a very, very divided climate in our church, in our in our country right now, right? Politically, people are taking sides. Things are getting violent. It's way out of hand, and we're in a lot of trouble as a nation. But I tell you this: our hope does not rest in any of that. I walk away from that saying, you know what? Jesus is still on the throne at the right hand of his father, in control of all these things, and I don't care what clown gets put into the White House, we're going to be okay, not because we're great, not because we've got the best systems, or I've built up a bunker under my house that can withstand you know, a nuclear threat, because I have Jesus in my life, I will be okay. The most it can cost me is my life at this point. That's it. Jesus said, what have you gained if you give up your soul to gain the world? Rather, give your life to the one who holds everything. All man can take from you is your life. And life is precious, and we love life, and there's no reason to end it any sooner than Jesus wants you to. However, life comes and goes, doesn't it? And we can't stop it. So our best road, the best pursuit that we have, is enduring with patience filled with joy. Now, there's no mention here. There's no absence of pain. And most times, that's why we don't go down this road, because we don't want pain in our life. We don't want to suffer at all. We don't want to give up something, because we'll suffer if we do. We just want to keep enjoying and being happy rather than filled with joy. But when you tap into that joy that Christ has put in you, you'll begin to look at the world in a different way. You'll look at the things of this world in a different way. You'll enjoy them as they are to be enjoyed. You know, from a, from a person who's healthy and skinny, 
you know, a bowl of ice cream is a good treat. To a glutton, a bowl of ice cream is so much more because it's idolized. It's lifted up to a place where it shouldn't be. You know, same thing with, with sexual sin, same thing with financial gain, same thing with idolizing people or, or things. You know, for the person who's not entrapped or ensnared by that, it's, it's something to be enjoyed and, you know, to, to be appreciated. But on the side of sin and, and idol worship, it's something that's got to be crucified. The, the thing, the thing, whatever the thing is, is really, it, it's, it's nothing. Meaning it's not evil in and of itself. You know, a bowl of ice cream is not evil. It's how the person who eats it treats it. And that rhymes, so it must be true, right? Colossians 1.11 says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Um, some use God's power kind of as their own well, um, meaning they take it as they want it and they use it as they want to. As though God has given them power to simply do whatever their will is. That's true in a, in, a, in, a, in a sense. God has given us his power, but it's according to his will. That means the power that he's given you is to do specific things. You know, He has given you the power to become, uh, what is it First Peter says, a, a, a chosen people, you know, a royal priesthood. But, but that same Liberty or that same freedom that's been given to us in that can be abused, can it? When someone stands up and then begins to lord over other people, we would easily sit back and go, well, no, that's not God's desire. We can see right through that, that you're using your newfound power to manipulate, to control people rather than to serve them. And so the power we've been given is not to be used according to our whims. It's to be used according to God's will. And God's will is for you to love Jesus, so he empowers you to do that. God's desire is you for, for you to serve others, so he empowers you to do that. His, his, he wants you to love him first and foremost. He empowers you to do that. And his desire and will is for you to endure with patience, filled with joy, and he will empower you to do that. Pastor Tony, I don't feel it. And that's probably the, the biggest problem with my generation. I don't feel it. I can't tangibly touch it and bring it to myself. There's nothing I can do. And we get caught up in all this, this weird religiosity sometimes. Lighting candles and doing this stuff and praying in a certain direction. And, you know, Faith is about what you believe, not about what you feel. And you, there will be moments where you feel something, and that's great. But you've got to understand that our flesh is, is corrupted, and so sometimes feelings can be manipulated. I feel like this is right. Really? Because the Bible says it's a sin. So I'm going to go with the Bible side. You're feeling, you're, you're authentically transparently, whatever, feeling that. I get that. But the Word says something that contradicts it. And so I will stand on this side. It's the same thing I have to do personally when I feel like I want this or I want that, but the Bible says this other thing. Like, i got to choose a side. And there are many times where I choose the wrong side. More often than I'd like to admit, that doesn't change the truth. You know, when I see people on TV 
internet, write books, things like that, and they begin to justify some sin that the Bible calls sin, I usually, my first thought is, that's because they're caught up in that sin themselves. You will quickly justify sin in your life if, you, if, you're, if that's what you want to do. You'll find reasons. You'll find verses. Plenty of dictators and lords and rulers who have used the Bible as their excuse for such heinous activity. doesn't make it true. doesn't make it right. just makes them better sinners than us, I guess. I don't know. To endure with patience, fill with joy, implies emphatically that there will be pain involved. And we either embrace that pain and say, okay, this is, this is the road that I've chosen. I have chosen to follow the road, the path of a rabbi, son of God, who is sent here to die on my behalf. I'm either doing that or I am not. And the road outside of that is very wide, and there's lots of people on it, and there's never any loneliness in, in, in the sense that you're alone in your sin. But this path, this path is hard. This path is steep. But this path is the path, the Psalm 23 says, maybe the valley of the shadow of death, but I fear no evil, for you're with me. Christ is with you on this path, and this path leads you not simply to a better life, or a better life now, but it leads you to Christ himself. Our goal is not a good life. Our goal is Jesus, in whom we find a good life, but, but you can kind of go one or the other direction. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. The, the, the Colossians were either doing this of their own power, or they weren't doing this at all. And so Paul says that's, this, this, I pray for you always, and he begins to pray right in the middle of this letter. I pray that you're strengthened by God's might, by his power, and how he dishes it out to you. Ephesians 3 and 14 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through Christ, or excuse me, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to, be, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And go back to the fullness. So you won't, you won't find that anywhere else. Your husband, your wife, your children, your job, your money, your status, your stuff, none of that was meant to make you full. None of that was meant to make you feel complete. And many of you have already lived this cycle over and over again. If I just have this, everything will be okay. If I just have this, everything will be okay. And you get to that place, and before you can even enjoy that moment, there's already something else in our vision. If I could just have that, I'd be okay. If I could just be healthy, I'll be okay. If I could just start a new habit or stop a bad habit, I'll be okay. If I just had more money, if I just moved away, if I just met the right person, no. All those things outside of Christ just make everything that much more messed up. I pray for you, if you could just meet Christ, if you could just spend time with him, then everything will be okay. 
then your life will be different because then you'll see everything as it is to be seen. You'll go through this process of sanctification where, where you realize, oh, that's not for me. Oh, but this is. This is what I'm given liberty to do. And, and Jesus loves me so much. You know, it's that time of the year where people are putting stuff on TV about Jesus and the death, burial, and resurrection and Easter and all that. And, you know, it pales in comparison what we can see depicted in video or on, on, on a DVD, what he actually went through and endured. Read Isaiah 53 about the foretelling of his suffering. That he was so beaten and bloodied and broken that you could hardly tell that he was a man. Read, read Psalm 2. Read Psalm, I believe it's 22, that talks about, um, you know, I'm like a worm. I'm not, Jesus was obliterated because he loves you that much. He cares for you. To not allow you to stay in your old life, he loves you so much to bring you into his kingdom, to live according to his kingdom, to live according to his life. And so you've got to ask yourself, where, where am I avoiding this? Where am I, where am I not enduring? Where am, I, where am I sort of bypassing the power that God has given me so that I don't even have to exercise it? Where am I, you know, being passive? Or maybe I'm, I'm, I'm fighting for the wrong thing? What am I doing that causes me to not patiently endure with joy. Get to the root of that with Jesus, and you'll start to see your life change completely. Do not forget, and this is, I can't stress this enough. We could just spend all day on this one particular point, but I'll make it very brief. The Holy Spirit is God sent to fill you with God's power. Jesus, when he was baptized, says that the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, filled him with great power. The Messiah, the anointed one of God, was filled with the Spirit. So much more is it needed in your life. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, was sent by the Father in the name of him to empower you, to anoint you, to set you apart, to make you part of his kingdom. You are now a Christian filled with the same power that God is filled with. You don't get to use it for your own power, to manipulate others and to do whatever you want, you are now filled to do what Christ wants. That's to preach the gospel, to save souls, to live a life of integrity, to live a life that points back to him and glorifies him. Even when we sin, we glorify him by repenting and embracing the grace that he has for us. So let's stand and let's pray together. Let's pray. This is, this is a, a big ideal. When you're talking about this command, as simple as it is to activated or to actually use it in your life that's a whole different scenario and so we need to pray for one another we need to pray for ourselves lord help us church let's pray lord it is it is easy to hear these words and comprehend them to endure patiently filled with joy but father to live that out practically is very difficult so difficult that we sometimes run from it or we question why we're going through what we're going through. When we go through pain, we just want it to be done. 
rather than growing from that, that pain that has been inflicted upon us. And Father, it might be Satan, as in the case with Job. Lord, it might be bad choices, as in the case with David. Lord, it might just be life, as in with the disciples just preaching the gospel and they found themselves beaten and flogged because of it. Whatever the circumstance, Lord, you have called us to be patient and to endure, to be filled with joy. And Lord, I thank you that this is even a consideration today, that we can even ask something like this because of the door that you opened to us. Father God, we are floored by what you have done for us. And if we're not, Lord, remind us. Not to Lord it, not to make us feel bad, but to remind us of who you are. That our hope rests not in some rabbi that's dead from 2,000 years ago, but in the God of all creation that rules and reigns forever. That is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, help us. Help these people. I pray for them, Lord, that you may bless them in this way. That as the week progresses and as the opportunity to endure presents itself, that you would remind them of your words found in Colossians chapter 1. That Paul, through the Holy Spirit, prayed for these people. That we pray for each other in this same manner. That we be filled according to your might. According to how you dish it out to us. That we might live a life that glorifies you. For you alone are worthy. And you alone are God. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.